If you have been in our church for even the smallest amount of time, you will know that I absolutely love Christmas. I don't just mean I like Christmas. I don't mean I just get a little bit excited. I mean, I, I, just, I just envelop the whole thing and I just, I go all out. We decorate the house, although Craig doesn't quite let me decorate the outside, but we're working on it. There's a few things appearing. Um, but we do all of that sort of stuff and, and I, I buy the Christmas hat and I even him wearing Christmas socks so that you can see them today. Um, but you know, I do all of that because I love Christmas. And the reason why I love Christmas, and, and it's not just about, you know, getting some gifts and stuff. Because I had someone say to me once, oh, you love Christmas because your love language is gifts. Yeah, no, nah, it's not actually. That's not my love language, and that's not why I love Christmas. But what I love about Christmas, and when I hear people kind of complaining about, oh, the music and the songs, or, or, you know, it's just crazy and having to, you know, you're missing the whole point of Christmas. You see... Christmas, and what I love the most about Christmas is the anticipation of Christmas. I love the build-up towards Christmas. I love that sense of excitement that you get and that sense of something awesome, something amazing, something wonderful is going to happen. And I absolutely love that. And the reason why I love that is because Christmas to me is like communion. You see, we take communion, and I always look forward to taking communion when we do it in church. We take communion because it's a time of remembrance, and it's a time of honor, and it's a time of, um, you know, showing gratitude, and it's a time of just, just remembering and being, and that's what Christmas is. It's a time of honoring God. It's a time to remember what he's done. It's a time to give glory to him. And the thing that's really awesome is that people who are unbelievers, people who don't follow Jesus, people who declare themselves to be atheists at Christmas time will still sing carols and they will still give glory to God even though they disavow who he is. And I love that because you know what? Our God is greater. And it says in his word that every tongue will confess and they do. And I'm just like, yes, every time I hear it. And so that's one of the reasons why I really love Christmas. Now, I wasn't always like this about Christmas. Like I wasn't, like honestly. Um, you know, this is something that, that I have been intentional about. Like, do you remember Christmas when you were a kid? Like, Christmas when you were a kid was always fun and exciting, right? You know, you, you had the whole, you know, Santa's gonna bring you toys and you better be good and you had all of that sort of stuff and, um, and Christmas when I was a kid was, was a lot of fun. In fact, my most favorite gift that my parents have ever got us was a joint present between me and my sisters and they got us a trampoline. Like, and, and it was a big, massive, rectangular trampoline. And it didn't have safety nets and, you know, cushiony things around the safety nets and all that sort of stuff because, you know, Gen Z, uh, Gen X here, Gen X here. So we, we don't do that sort of stuff. In fact, Seth and I were talking about it the other day and I was whinging to him about um, all the health and safety stuff that I have to do for work and for church. And I was just like doing this big whinge about it. it's just unnecessary and it's ridiculous and all this legislation. And Seth turns to me and he goes, Mom you do realize that Gen X is the whole reason why we have health and safety. And I thought about it, I thought, yeah, he's probably right. It is actually uh, my generation's fault that we actually have to go through all this health and safety stuff. So, so Christmas as a kid was amazing. Like, my mom's family all grew up out at Maraito Beach because that, that was where their parents lived and that's where they were raised. So my Christmases, when we had Christmas with her family, was always at the beach. 
like with all of my cousins, like, and I have a whole heap of cousins. I think at last count there was like 36 first cousins, right? And it was always bedlam, and it was always just mental, and there was always lots of fun, and there was always lots of food. And then on my dad's side of the family, when we'd have Christmas with them, one of my uncles lived out at Long Bay Res- Beach Reserve, so uh, in the homestead. So we would go up there, and again, we're at the beach, right? Because, you know, it's New Zealand. What else are you going to do in summer? And so we would have these massive barbecues, um, and it was always fun because you were with your cousins and you were with family and there was always way too much food um, and there was always lots of noise. Um, and we also used to do this thing where one of my dad's uncles was, is, uh, was deaf, he's passed away now, but because he was deaf, we would play in the evening, we would play Uno, right, you know the card game Uno, don't know if you guys know it, it's a lot of fun. We would play this game, but because he was deaf, um, he couldn't tell us that he had Uno, and he couldn't hear when we would say Uno, so you used to have to say, you bang the table, because you had Uno, your you know, last card. And so even now, decades later, whenever we say Uno, we bang the table, and people who don't know why we do that think it's a bit weird. But it was fun, right? You had family, you had gifts, but you had family, and you had food, and you had all this joy and all this laughter. And then you grow up, right? And then when you grow up, and... It's still nice, and you still have fun, and you still have family, and you still have food, and that's, it's, it's all good, but it kind of loses that magic. It kind of loses the thing that makes it special. And then you have kids, and all of that comes back at a totally different level, and that is so much more fun than when I was a kid. And now that my kids are growing, I'm kind of like, oh, I can't wait for the grandbaby stage. I, mean, I can wait for the grandbaby stage, but when it happens, it's going to be a lot of fun, Right? And, and I keep saying to the, to the kids, when you guys have kids, they're gonna, your kids are going to want to come to our place for Christmas and not the other grandparents because I'm going to do this way more fun than they ever will. So you had this whole thing, right? And as an adult, you know, sometimes with Christmas, there can be loss. There can be people that you're missing. There can be people that you won't see again. And so there can always be this underlying sadness, this underlying sorrow, and that kind of puts this dampener on what Christmas is and what Christmas can be. For us, it happened because the first baby that we lost was due at Christmas time. In fact, that baby was going to be 22 this year, sorry. (laughs) And then the second baby we lost, we actually lost on Christmas Day. And that was really awful. We were in Wellington, we were alone. Um, his family was in Wanganui and my family was in Auckland and we had to spend the morning at the hospital and, and as soon as we could, we got out of there and, and Craig didn't know what to do so he just took me, took me to, to Wanganui and then eventually went up to Auckland. But, you know, so Christmas has always had this underlying sad to it. And then by a, a miracle story, which is not part of this, so I won't, I'm not going to share that, we had Madison. And then we actually had another loss, which we lost again in December, uh, before we had Seth. So always, Christmas, as much as I liked it, enjoyed it, and it was fun with the kids, there's, there's, there was always this underlying sense of sorrow, a sense of sadness that would kind of creep up on me on the day. And it wasn't fun, and it wasn't enjoyable, and, and it wouldn't last long, but, but it kind of just brought everything down a bit. And 
we had this time where I got invited by the play centre to go to a fundraiser, and the fundraiser was the Christmas Eland Company, and they took us to the one on Almaro Road in Alizee. Now, if you have never been to the Christmas Eland Company um, in Alizee, you need to go. It's the most amazing place, and it's far better than any of the other stores. And I walked in there, and it was amazing. There's all these fairy lights, and there's, like, probably about 30 or 40 Christmas trees, and they're all decorated in different themes, and they were just, and the whole atmosphere was just amazing, and there were some amazing decorations, and it was just, I kind of walked in, and I was like, oh my gosh, and I had this oh wow moment, and, and then I actually heard the music that was playing in the background, because they played Christmas music, and then I had, from this, listening to that song, and the place where I was, I had what I believe is a complete paradigm shift around Christmas. And that's when I began to intentionally celebrate Christmas. And what was playing was this was kind of um, old song, and it was by um, Phil Kegi. Uh, and the chorus, and I'm kind of, because I've been singing this for like two weeks solid now, so I'm not going to sing it though, because uh, I've been informed by the kids that I can't sing. So, but I'm going to try and say it without singing it. So here we go. And it says... And the chorus is, and on that day was put in motion the means of our redemption, and the way was opened up as a highway to our God. And a child was born to us, and to us a son was given. For through the young and blessed Mary came the greatest gift of all. And I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that chorus. And on that day was put in motion the means of our redemption. And a way was opened up as a highway to a God. And I think it's such an amazing verse, like a, a chorus. And then, you know, I think about um, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Now, normally that's a scripture that we will read at Easter. Normally that's a scripture that we talk about when we're talking about all that, you know, God gave. And we talk about it at Easter. And I think we miss the point. You see, you cannot have Easter without Christmas. But Christmas without Easter is pointless. But when God gave was actually at Christmas time. That was when he gave. Like, it wasn't at the cross. By the, when he sent his son at Christmas was the beginning of that moment of our salvation, of a way of redemption. As the chorus says, a way was opened up. It was in that moment that the way was opened up. And the song kind of refers back to Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I think we need to recognize the hand of the Holy Spirit upon the specific wording of that verse. Uh, the child is born, the son is given, and they're repeating the same thing and emphasizing this point. This is an amazing prophecy about the birth of the Messiah, and it's reminding Israel that Messiah is coming and he's bringing victory with them, and he's going to be a man. Now, Theoretically, the Messiah could have been an angel, or he could have been God without humanity. But in reality, neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our saviour and our high priest as Jesus was. You see, the child had to be born. 
And it's an amazing thing if you think about it, that the God who created the entire universe, who has all this power and all the authority and all of that became the smallest, weakest, most helpless being ever. Because there is not a ch- uh, no child is more dependent than the human than a human child. You see, Jesus could have come as a fully grown man. He could have been come created as an adult like Adam was, but for him to for Jesus to fully identify with humanity and to display his life and the servant nature that is a part of him, he. He did what he says in Philippians 2.7. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He made himself weakest of all for us. And that's what he did at Christmas time. You see, the child would be a man, but he's more than a man. He's the eternal son of God. He did, the Messiah didn't actually have to be God. He could have been a sinless angel, or he merely could have been a perfect man like Adam. But in reality, neither of those options would have qualified him as Savior and High Priest, as Jesus was. You see, the Son had to be given. He had to be given. You see, we needed a perfect, infinite being to offer a perfect, infinite atonement, excuse me, atonement for our sins. What we needed was Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 4.17, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The child could be born because the humanity of Jesus had to have a starting point. You see, there was a time when he was fully God without having his humanity. You see, he was given. He was the second person of the Trinity. He existed forever as a son, and he had to add humanity to his deity. You see, Jesus the Messiah, he is fully God and he is fully man. Fully God and fully man. He never became less of God, never became less of God when he took on humanity. He just added his human nature to his divine nature, and he became one person with two distinct natures, functioning together in perfect harmony. Jesus is both God and man. And what that tells us is that man is truly made in the image of God. And perfect humanity is more compatible with deity than we can imagine. You see, you know what that tells me? Our problem is not our humanity. Our problem is our fallenness. When we say, I'm only human, when we, when we screw up, when we say, oh, I made a mistake or I, I stuffed up here, we say, oh, I'm only human. You see, Jesus, though, was fully human, yet he was perfect. It's actually more accurate for us to say, I'm only fallen. But you've got to remember that the humanity that was added to Jesus wasn't um, simple humanity that we know, but it was the perfect humanity of Adam and Eve before the, before the fall. Jesus remains man eternally. Acts 7, 55 and 56 says, But he, he being Stephen, who's being martyred, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And in 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, he did not, Jesus did not give up his humanity upon his ascension. He is now a man in a resurrected body, as we will also one day have, of which mine is going to be tall and thin. 
Just want to make sure that God remembers. So I remind him all the time. My resurrected body is tall and thin. See, if Jesus was not fully man, he would not be able to stand in our place of sinful man and be the substitute for the punishment that we deserve. If he were not fully God, his sacrifice would be insufficient. If he was not fully God and fully man, then we are lost in our sin. But thankfully, he is fully God and fully man. And it says that the government will be upon his shoulder. And ultimately, this will happen when Jesus rules the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And while we're waiting for the fulfillment upon that, we can actually still see his government resting upon um, that we uh, resting upon his shoulder in different ways. Gail Irwin uh, wrote about this specifically, and she says, What might such a government look like? First of all, it would look like its king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. But Jesus, he looks for what he can do for you. And that's so true. You know what? Leaders of this day, they surround themselves with servants. But Jesus surrounded us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day, they used their power to build their empire. But Jesus used his power to wash our feet, to make us clean. Leaders of this day will trade their influence for money. But God so loved that he gave. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. But Jesus sought anonymity so that he could be useful. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and their skills up to date and to ensure their own advancement. But Jesus comes and he brings peace and rest to our hearts. The higher plane of importance that a person reaches in this world, the more inaccessible they become. But Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, obviously, Jesus is not in charge. He's not the president in Washington. He's not the prime minister in London or, or Moscow or Baghdad or Paris or even in Wellington. So how can we ever believe that the government will be upon his shoulders? You know what? I actually see the government on his shoulders working in wonderful ways all around me. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to their family and work, I can see that they are now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians caring for orphans or community people who are struggling, those who have been rejected by their family or by society, I know that I'm watching people who are governed by God. Whenever I see people who are eagerly learning from the Bible, who are doing their My 15, who are praising God, I know who governs them. Whenever I see people who give up lucrative careers to simply go and share the good news of Jesus or to serve in their church or to become an intern, I know that they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teaching and leading the, the people that God has given them, I know that they're taking their cue from the great king. When I see people leave their family, to teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know that they are governed by God. So you know what? The government is indeed alive and working. It's probably quite silent, mostly unseen, but we can be and we are by choice governed by God. Hope, joy, peace and rest are what the subjects of that kingdom live under. Justice, mercy, and grace can amazingly coexist. You know what? I like that kingdom. I like this kingdom. And here's something else. The borders are open. You can come on into this kingdom at any time. The borders are open. 
Such a unique thing to say in this time. So he shall be called wonderful. It's not, people read it quite often as he shall be called wonderful saviour. No, no, no. Uh, Wonderful counsellor. It's not that. It's he shall be called wonderful. Full stop. There is such wonder in a relationship with God. There is such wonder in who he is. And I keep thinking to myself, if you only spend time with him, if you only got to know him, a life following Jesus is not boring. In the 30 odd years that are, oh, actually, no, it's now 40, 40, no, how old am I? I'm 47, I'm going to do the math. Okay, in the 31 years that I've been following Jesus, I have never been bored. I have been frustrated. I have misunderstood what's going on. I have wept tears. I have been angry at times. But I can tell you now, I have never been bored. And the wonder of God and all that he is and all that he has has never faltered for me. He is wonderful. He is so wonderful. If you would get to know him, really know him. The Messiah is our counselor. He is our counselor, not just, not just someone who will give you great advice. He is a true counselor. You see, Jesus' counsel is necessary counsel. It is full of wisdom for every single season that you are facing. Jesus' counsel is faithful counsel. It's without any self-interest. He will give you the right counsel. He's not going to tell it so that he looks good. He's not going to tell it to you from a way so that you will think he's better than he is. He will be faithful to, his, to tell you the truth. Jesus' counsel is hearty counsel. It's, it's, it isn't detached and unemotional. It's filled with such emotion. He will gift you his counsel. And Jesus' counsel is actually sweet counsel. Do you know what I mean by sweet counsel? This is something that, that you will experience if you've been a Christian long enough. You know, baby Christians don't get this, but when you've been a Christian for a while, this is what happened. You're going through a situation, and it's devastating to you, and, it's, and you don't understand why it's happening, and you're just so upset, and, and then you get on your knees before God, and you get out your word, or you're in worship, and you're pouring out your heart to God. You're telling all, him all your difficulties. You're just pouring everything out to him. And what happens is even though Christ doesn't show up in flesh and blood, his spirit is there and he counsels you. And you feel that counsel deep in your heart. Then you walk up or you get up and you stand up and you have this sense of peace in your life, the sense of peace. And you want, the circumstances of what you're facing have not changed, but something within you has changed and all of a sudden there is a steadiness and a peace to you. That is what I mean when I talk about sweet counsel. There's a sweetness that comes with this counsel, such a radiance of love and such a fullness of fellowship. You know, most of us have a couple of friends, and our friends are usually not all the same. You might have a friend, most of us has a friend who's quite kind. There'll be one person in our group who's the kind person. They're the sweet person. They're the, they're the supportive person. But usually that person's not the wisest person. Right? And then you have another friend who, who probably has a lot of knowledge and they're quite wise and they're quite but they kinda lack empathy and they kinda lack that, that bit of kindness. But with Christ what you get is you get wisdom and you get love and you get sympathy and you get everything that you can possibly have ever wanted in a counsellor. See the Messiah is a mighty God. See, he's the God of all glory and all creation. He's the Lord who reigns in the heavens. He is worthy of all our praise. He is mighty God. Whenever you need him to turn up and be victorious in your situation, that is who you get. 
Messiah is everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. He is a Father. He will provide and He will care. He is the Creator. He is the source or the author of our faith. The Messiah is the Prince of Peace. He's the one who makes peace, especially between God and man. But he will also make peace between family members. He will make peace between friends. He will make peace wherever he goes. And when you are governed by the Prince of Peace, that peace extends to the situations that you're in. Madison, can you just come and play, please? You see, whenever it appears to us that we're in a terrible place, that we're in a, everything's turning to custard, and not the nice kind of custard that you get at Christmas time, you know, with trifle, but the lumpy kind that nobody likes, whenever your life looks like it's going in that direction, you need to be able to remember that Christ is called wonderful because he has amazing and inconceivable methods of assisting us. And because his power is beyond what you can conceive and his reach is beyond what you know, he is wonderful. And when we need counsel, you need to remember that he is the counselor. When we need strength, you need to remember that he is mighty and strong. And when new terrors spring up, Suddenly, at every instant, and when many deaths threaten us from various places, from, from all sides, and there's a good reason why he's called Father. And at the same time, he's going to comfort and, and soothe over all those troubled and distresses that we've got. When we are in, internally, we are, are stressed by the different things that are happening in our world. When Satan attempts to disrupt our conscience, and we need to remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace. And it's really easy for him to come in and to just soothe those fears because he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. More and more, as you submit yourself to be governed by his kingdom, you will experience this for yourself. You see, Jesus can be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace for everyone. And one day, all of that will reign throughout this whole entire world. For now, they are real for those of us who have received Jesus and who submit to Him. So this Christmas, I don't want you to think about the annoyances of Christmas or the commercialization of Christmas, because that's just the world trying to detract you from what Christmas is. I want you to go into it with the thought that on this day, I'm going to remember that on this day was put in motion the means of our redemption and that a way was opened up for us, a highway to a God, that it was on this day that He gave because He loved you so. That it was on this day that He opened up a way for you to make sure that you would not perish, but He would make sure that there was a way for you to be able to be fully redeemed. That's what Christmas is about. That's what it's about. And when we get together with our family, when we get together and we, we have joy and we have all that food and we, we hand our gifts, you're actually imitating Jesus. You're imitating Christ. You're imitating the Father because He's all about family. And He loves to give His children good gifts. And He's all about joy. 